Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. going to be looking at the Bible now and uh, we're going to be looking at Romans 14 1 to 7 so if you have your Bibles there uh, you can grab that although it will be on the screen as well and we'll be reading those seven verses picking it up from verse 1 except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters one's one person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Good morning again. I hope the idea of talking about food, meat or vegetables is not making you too hungry just yet. We'll have morning tea after the service, but we want to chew on some um, real hard stuff from God's word in regards to how we are to conduct ourselves as a church. How about I pray and help God to uh, open our eyes and our ears to to his word. Dear Father God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for these two or three hours of a week that it is special to us that we come to meet with you and meet with each other. Lord, sometimes we don't realise the significance of that, but Lord, please help us to see your vision for your church this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians are sensitive and also insensitive people. We like to fight about lots of things. Uh, there was an interesting thing. I hope this is not a, um, a new announcement to you, but the Presbyterian Church of Queensland, our denomination, uh, has gone into a receivership um, four or five weeks ago, and that stirred up a whole lot of conversation amongst ministers when it hit the media. Here was the first article that came out in regards to our situation as it hit the media. I'm not sure whether you can pick the fault in this and why ministers would be upset at this article. Not just Queensland has been put into receivership. Uh, That might be a bit pretentious of us. Um, There's something else there that upset a whole bunch of ministers. If you haven't picked it, it's the picture. The picture. We don't have a Jesus hanging on a cross. We don't have a cross hanging on a set of rosary beads. That's Catholics. We're not Catholics. We're Presbyterians. Well, how could the media get it so wrong? You know, you can have a go at us for being bad managers of finance and all that sort of stuff, but don't call us Catholics. That was the discussion at the meeting. Don't confuse us. In fact, we've got a long history of this going back 500 years. Quick history lesson. That 500 years ago, there was the one church called the Catholic Church. At that time, it was quite corrupt. You know, this is the the 1500s. Um, There's the Pope, and the Pope was the only one who could interpret scripture. 
So you couldn't just read the Bible for yourself. In fact, you couldn't because the Bible was only written in Latin. Uh, therefore, if you didn't know Latin, you could not possible for you to read and the Pope was the only one could tell you what it meant. In fact, the church had become so corrupt it was a lot about money. So if you want to be a bishop in, one of the, in the Catholic Church, you had to pay lots of money. You're paying for the position. Wealthy people become bishops and that was a good strategic move because they could keep a lot of the giving from the congregation. It was a business move to be a bishop in that. To be a priest was to, to just preach the, um, a message of salvation in a way of fear and trembling to give you more money. They were selling things called indulgences. So you could buy from your local church this bit of paper called an indulgence that said, uh, it's all right, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what sin you commit, as long as you've got this bit of paper before God, you will not be sent to hell. You'll be kept in heaven. But you had to pay for it. Indulgences weren't cheap. You had to pay the, the, the priest money to get these indulgences. So at that time, there's a, a, a German guy called Martin Luther got very upset about this. He wasn't uh, a priest. He was an academic, though. So he could go back not just to the Latin, but the, the Greek and the Hebrew, where the Bible was originally written, the languages. And he goes, we've got this all wrong. We've got God all wrong. It's not about buying your way in. It's not about this corrupt and do works and pay money. It's about believing in Jesus. It's about grace. That when we do that, that's how we're saved. So he led this charge about getting people back to the Bible. Him and a group of other guys got the Bible translated into people's languages so we could all read the Bible. This, this only happened like 500 years ago. It's not forever that this has happened and he led the the, the push to reform the church to, to reform the church back to the bible back to the real god back to jesus and uh, so this is where we get the language the reformation and out of this reformation movement that, that started off in germany but come across europe and the rest of the world become different denominations these people who were pushing back against the catholic church at that day um, were called Protestants. The word Protestants come from protesters because they didn't like what was going on. So they were protesting. So in those countries, you are either Catholic or Protestant. You're fighting against them. Uh, so they were pushing against what the Catholic Church was doing in that day, but also standing up for what they believed. They had to decide, is our belief, or our understanding of the Bible, so important we're going to fight about it? And to fight about it was literally fight about it in those days. Martin Luther nearly lost his life several times they wanted to kill him. Countries, whether they committed one way or another, were, were often fighting. Many people died for what they believed, literally died, because they had to fight for what they thought was right, the real way to heaven, the real way to God and to know him. Even Presbyterian I'm not sure if you know, have you ever wondered where the word Presbyterian comes from? Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbytos, which, which means our elders. So our name on the front of this building is the Greek word for elders, which means, the reason they chose that is to say, we are governed, governed by an eldership, by our elders. That is to say, our name says, we're not Catholic. We don't have a Pope. We don't have bishops. We have elders. Our name states what we're not. We're not one of them. We're one of the, one of the Protestants. We're governed by elders. 
our history is shaped by having these fights. Fights about what is important, what is true and worth fighting about, but it's also easy for us to creep into that culture of fighting about things that aren't so important. We might say closed hand and open hand matters. Closed hand, what things are so important to you, you're going to hang on to, you're not going to change at all. In fact, with that closed hand, I'm going to fight about it. Or what's open hand, what things do I believe, but actually I'm not going to fight about those things. I'm just not. See, for you, what things do you want to put in your closed hand that you want to believe and fight about? Or do you have other beliefs to go, I'm going to choose, even though I have a belief, even if it's a strong belief, I'm not going to fight about those things. Even for us as a church, what are we going to fight about as a church? But what are we choosing not to fight about? We're going to put in the open hand and make sure we don't cause division over that. See, as we go through this book of Romans, there's lots of instructions for churches. And in this chapter we're looking at this morning, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to, to the church in Rome, actually lays out some ground rules of how to have these fights, how to fight fairly in a sense, and what's the priority for us. And the first verse that he brings up sets the groundwork. Chapter 14, verse 1, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. There's a few things going on there. To accept the one whose faith is weak, so some people's faith is strong, some are weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. So we're going to uh, hit this morning looking at those three things. How to accept the weak without being weak. How to fight for what we believe. And what are disputable matters? Because don't, don't fight over disputable matters, implying there are things that are undisputable and you should fight about. What are those? And what are those for us? That's the three things we're going to look at in this passage, but I do encourage you to read the whole chapter and even into the next chapter uh, to think more about it. So how do we accept the weak without being weak? Let's set the scene a little bit here, because the Apostle Paul's writing to a church, the church is in Rome, uh, and it's built up of Jews and Gentiles in the first century. So Jesus uh, lived and died in the first century and now these new churches were popping up and we've got to think through the makeup of these churches. So in this church, from the rest of the letter, we can work out there's Jews and Gentiles. Now Jews, uh, particularly in the first century, they knew their Old Testament scriptures, they lived by the law and there's lots of stuff that they should do to, to be authentic. It was very much... Uh, like the nation, uh, you know, this is what we do. We do all these things. There's a lifestyle that goes with it, a culture. Then you have the Gentiles. Gentiles are just anybody who's not a Jew. Gentiles. So they've both come to know Jesus to be a part of this church. Jews, yes, we've got the Old Testament scripture. We live by that. But we've found Jesus, found life in Jesus, now we're a part of his church. Gentiles, so we've never been able to be a part of the temple, the synagogue, but now we've found Jesus, we're allowed to be a part of this church. or We're welcomed in as legitimates. We were outsiders, now we're insiders. So you can imagine, a little bit like us coming in all together, all people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and we want to get to know each other. And as we should do, we want to get together and socialise to really learn about each other and become friends with each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So I could imagine the Gentile going up to his Jewish mate and saying, hey, why don't you come round to our place Friday night? 
Bring the family. Come around Friday night, we'll have a glass of wine and we'll make some homemade pizzas. We can do some ham and pineapple pizzas. It'll be great. The kids will love it. To the Jew, how's he going to respond to that? He's shaking in his boots. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Did you say ham? We don't touch ham. Haven't you read Deuteronomy? We don't go near pigs. We don't eat pigs. We don't touch pigs. Like, you don't do ham. Don't you know your scriptures? Read Deuteronomy. Haven't you read Daniel? In fact, Daniel tells us it's better to be a vegetarian. Why, aren't you, why are you eating meat at all? Shouldn't you be just having vegetarian pizzas? Read Daniel. And even Daniel, no alcohol. We don't even drink the red wine. And you want us to come around on Friday night. That's the start of the Sabbath. Haven't you read any of the Old Testament scripture? Sabbath starts on a Friday night. Sabbath, day of rest. Don't do anything. Don't even socialise. Don't even go out. Don't even live that pagan lifestyle, that, that meal that you're putting in front of us. He says, no, we're not coming. In fact, he says, I'm thinking I should report this to the elders in our church because I thought you'd be more mature than this. What is this church teaching that you can go and do that sort of thing, eat that sort of stuff on a Sabbath, Friday night? How's a Gentile respond? Well, actually, I am one of the elders in the church. And haven't you read the book of um, Galatians where it says you're free from all those laws? You're free to do it. In fact, I think I'll bring this up with the elders because I'm wondering how they made you a member of this church if you hold those views. Like, they're so different. There's division. There's no way these guys are appearing to be brothers. In fact, how do you think they should resolve it? Two strong opinions, both quoting the Bible at each other. Often the way we resolve it is to go, actually, I think I'll just find another church. But Paul says, no, we're not giving you that option. We are the church. We're one. We're brothers. So how are we going to resolve it? So he brings up, this is where we find ourselves, the situation in this chapter. And he gives us a couple of scenarios. The first one, we had it read for us from verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So there's this thing about who's strong and who's weak. So who do you think is the stronger one and the weaker brother, the Jew or the Gentile for their views? There's a couple of answers here. Paul's actually saying, theologically, the guy that's anchored in the New Testament, that understands the Old Testament through the New Testament, the Gentile, he's the stronger one. Actually, it's the Jew that hasn't understand, understood the change of Jesus that Jesus made through the Old Testament. He's the weaker one. So he's saying, the stronger one, the one that eats everything, mate, you've got to have a bit more patience with the other one. You need to accept him. But there's also another part to the question, who's the stronger and the weaker? It actually takes more strength to hold on to beliefs. I believe this, but yet I'm not going to cause division over it. I'm not going to fight about it. I'm going to let it go. That takes strength. It takes more strength to do what is right than to have the fight and be right. The stronger ones just 
actually takes strength to let it go, doesn't it? I think we've all been in those situations. But also, there's a third thing going on here. He's going, it's not a salvation issue. It's not about if you do this, you're going to hell, or if you do this, you're not a Christian. He says God has accepted them both. This is not a salvation issue, whether you eat meat or not. It doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell. It's not that sort of thing, he says. God has accepted them. You're both Christians. You both have faith in Jesus. So don't fight about it. Don't fight about it. Accept one another. He gives another example, and this is to do with days of the week, the Sabbath. From verse 5, he says, One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should fully be con- fully convinced in their own minds. Whoever regards the day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. They're both genuinely trying to please God, yeah? They're reading the scriptures. They've both got good reasons to take the position they've got. It's a disputable matter. It's not a gospel issue. It's not a salvation issue. For that reason, Paul says, if they're doing it for the Lord, you can put that in the open hand. Don't fight about it. Don't fight about it. They've got this open and closed hand, and he's saying for the matter of food, for the matter of Sabbath, it's open hand. Don't fight it. Have that. It's disputable. It's not a salvation issue as long as you've got a conviction that you're doing what is right in the eyes of God. The difficulty is in that is we like to be right, don't we? I hate giving up a fight. We like to be right. In fact, giving up the fight is a sign of weakness that we don't know what we're talking about. Because we think it's strong to show how smart we are. It's strong to to be quoting verses, to win the victory. But what Paul says, if we go down a bit further in verse 14, he says, For I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Does Paul have an opinion on food, whether to eat meat or not? Of course he does. In fact, he says, I'm fully persuaded, I'm fully convinced. Eat whatever you want. Nothing is unclean. But if anyone regards something is unclean, then for that person it is unclean. He says, doing what is right is better than being right because you can win the fight but actually lose a friend or win the fight and make a stumbling block for their faith. It's all about winning the fight. You're actually putting down your brother or sister. He says you've got to show more maturity than that. You've got to show more strength than that to go, is this worth fighting over and possibly causing division or is this open hand? To let it go, to accept them, even in differences, to accept the weaker brother or sister is not about showing weakness. It's actually showing maturity and strength. This is the dilemma. But then he goes on, there's some things we need to fight for. How to fight for what we believe. See, in this setting uh, about food and Sabbath, it's open hand. I don't think any of us are going to fight too hard on that. But it is obviously important to some, some particularly in that church. It was very important because they were fighting over it. This passage is not about 
no fights. Let's keep the peace on all levels. We're not, anybody gets strong beliefs or something, let's not talk. He's not saying that at all. In fact, this passage is about a fight. And there is something worth fighting for. It's not about food. It's not about the Sabbath. There is something way more important that we have to fight for. And he's going to spell it out. And it's about the family of God. Our brothers and sisters being united in faith and nurturing one another. In fact, this is more than just this chapter. It's the whole of Romans. It's the context of his, the reason why he's writing the letter. A quick overview. From one to 11, chapters 1 to 11, uh, Paul tells a story about how you were far from God and are now united with God. The, the word it uses, you are reconciled to God. And he tells the story right from the journey we started off at the start of the year. But if you start reading through Romans, it's all about you and your relationship with God, that you are far off from God because of your sin. No one is acceptable to God. But then Jesus, God sent his son Jesus into the world that he would come into our world, come into our place far from God, that he would die the death we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, so that when he rose from the dead, not only showed that he is truly the son of God, but he says, believe in me and I've died to your sins. As I've come back to life, believe in me and you can have life. And through that you are reconciled with God. You are one with God. And, and Paul uses the language. You are one with the Father. United with the Father God. United with Jesus. You're at one with him. With his death and resurrection and your life. You've also been given his spirit. You're at one with the spirit. You've got this unity. And it uses language like you're no longer strangers but now you're a part of the family. You're adopted as family. Not just as, you know, the black sheep in the family. You are the one who's now sitting at the table. You are the one that now shares an inheritance as God's children. You are the one that, you're legitimately a child of God through Jesus. You are united with him. And that's something when we've been on the journey, that's our story. We titled that series at the start of the year, Coming Home. Because we we're far from God and through Jesus we can come home, come home to our Father God, be a, sitting at the table, be a part of the family. Legitimately, you belong. But then we hit chapter 12 and there's a little bit of a shift because after doing all the groundwork of you being united with God, Father, Son and Spirit, he then starts talking about what that means for us as a church. That it's our story now that you are at one with the church. Oh, it sounds a bit language. That you are reconciled to each other. That's right. All these people sitting around you, right? this could be a bit weird if you're visiting here or first time here, but everybody around you, you are at one with, you are reconciled with, just as you're reconciled with God. You're at one with the church. That's why it's important that we sort out how we deal with our fights. Let me give you a quick run through. I find this overwhelming. Chapter 12, verse 5. In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I think we'd be comfortable saying um, that in Christ, we belong to God. No, no, that's true, but it's more than that. You belong to each other. You're the same, yeah, the same unity. You're reconciled to each other. You belong to each other. Chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another 
in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Again, I think I'd be comfortable going, yes, I'd read that. I'm happy to be devoted to God and honour God above myself. No, there's a secondary thing, united with each other. Be devoted to one another, honour one another. Because because you're one with them. Chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Surely the first thing, the top of our thing is to love God. I'm happy with that. That's a debt I can never repay God. I'm just always in debt to be loving God. I said, no, you got, you're in debt to love one another. As soon as you think you've loved each other enough, I've given everything to love the people around me here. No, you're called to love more because we're reconciled to each other. We belong to each other. One more, chapter 14. I've got one out of every verse. Let, uh, one out of every chapter. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Make every effort. It's not, we don't have the option, I'll make some effort to keep the peace, some effort to, to build up the others, but you know, I haven't got much to give or I've done. Make every effort for the sake of those sitting around you. That's big, isn't it? That's big. Make every effort. The people around you are significant for who you are in Christ. Church is important. Your church community is important. Therefore, chapter 15, he says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Oh, I'm glad I'm accepted by God. This is great that God would accept me. Now, in the same way, accept the others sitting around you. This is important. This idea of who we are as a church is significant in what Paul's saying. So significant, it's worth fighting for. Sometimes we talk about being a part of the church as as membership. We use that language and it can get a bit confusing or even misleading. Because I'm members of lots of things. Here's a handful of my cards uh, thrown out on the table. I mean, who's not a member of BCF, yeah? We're all members of BCF. But all these memberships, why am I members of all these things? It either lets me in, it gives me discount, gives me promotion stuff. It's all about giving me stuff. Now... I don't care if you're a member of BCF or not. I don't care who the other, I don't know who the other members are. I don't care about the other members. It's all about me getting my discounts. When we talk about membership, if we think of that sort of membership, I'm a card-carrying Southsider. It's like, what do I get out of it? He says, no, it's not that sort of membership. Your membership here means you belong. You belong to Christ. You belong to one another. You're part of the family. And this is important. This is important. Is it so important? Are you going to put that in the closed hand or the open hand? For Paul, because he's been banging on about it for chapter after chapter after chapter, he's got it in the closed hand. Church is important. United to God, united to each other. We're reconciled to each other. It's important. He's going to fight about that. This chapter is about the fight for fighting what's important and what's important is our unity in Christ our brothers and sisters together. How does that look then? Because Paul paints us another picture on how does this look that we would fight for each other. Still in this chapter, chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore let us uh, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind 
not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't just go, I'll try and do the right thing. No, make up your mind. Have a conviction. I'm not going to cause others to stumble. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. By not eating, sorry, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So not just, I'm not going to not fight about it. He's going to say, don't even eat and don't provoke them. Don't eat in front of them. Don't cause them distress by pushing their buttons over an open hand issue. That's not acting in love. To act in love is to respect what they believe. Because you could destroy someone who's in Christ. Verse 17, and this is a big view of church, right? Because he uses the language, talking about church, as the kingdom of God. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. See, this kingdom of God is not about cutting each other down, fighting over, being right. It's about living a life of righteousness and helping others live that life of righteousness, about living a life of peace, helping others live a life of peace, having joy in the Holy Spirit. Not the joy the world finds joy, not just a good time, but a joy in God. Having a joy in Him. And we're doing it together. This is what the kingdom of God is like. When we gather here together, when we're together, this is a taste of heaven, the kingdom of God. He says that not only delights God, it pleases God, Actually, that's very attractive to, to others as well. That I find it amazing when people can walk in here and say, oh, this feels just like home. It's like, yeah, this is what we should be like. We should be reflecting the kingdom of God in how we live and conduct ourselves. But see, we can sabotage what God is building here, can't we? When it says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block, actually, we sabotage the kingdom of God look, our community here, when we do put stumbling blocks in front of other people, when we're not acting in love, we're sabotaging what God is building. Or for the kingdom of God, when we're not acting in righteousness, peace and sharing the joy in the Holy Spirit, we're sabotaging what God is building here. In fact, I find it interesting that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is saying, I'm not afraid of Satan. Satan is not going to, to destroy the church. No worries. Paul comes along and says, yeah, I'm not worried about Satan either. I'm worried about the people on the inside, that we can actually blow up the church. We can destroy each other, cut each other down. For those that are in Christ, we can tear down. So Paul says, yeah, I'm ready for a fight. I'm going to fight for what's important. I'm going to fight for what I believe, and that is the unity of the brothers and sisters in the church, for God's family. See, what would it look like for us to be this church? That when people do see us, they go, yeah, this church, it hasn't got that reputation about fighting and judging and just putting other people down, telling you don't belong unless you believe all this stuff. But they've actually got this righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit that draws me into, that builds me up and not tears me down. 
that in, encourages me to grow without putting hurdles in my way? This is a great picture of a church. Paul says, this is what I want to fight for. Alrighty then. So what are disputable manners, matters? What are the things that help us decide what are we going to fight about and not fight about? Because we can take a few things from Paul, and which we should. Uh, what is open hand, closed hand? Now Paul does a few, few things. He, he's happy to fight over a few things and we saw that about his idea of church, his belief in church, but happy to have some other things. His open hand, like what you can, can and can't eat or the Sabbath, open hand. So from Paul we see it's important to have in the closed hand things like the Bible is the word of God. He takes that very seriously and so do we. The Bible is the word of God that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that he did truly live, that he did truly die, he was crucified on the cross, he did truly rise from the dead, that's real, and that through his death and resurrection, that we die to our old self, our sins are gone and we rise to new life. We believe that. That heaven and hell is real and Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. We'll fight about that. Because there's no other way but Jesus. That's a core belief that we have. We'll fight about anything that threatens that. So everything we do here should present that. From our music, for the words we sing, our prayers, the way we conduct ourselves from the the sermons, should reinforce that. These are the things that are important in God's word. These are the things important to us. And we're going to focus our energy on those things. But there's also another principle that's going on for Paul and that is how do we some things are the same things but sometimes he fights sometimes he doesn't fight so for example here he says talking about food and Sabbath not going to fight about it because the issue is not a salvation issue he says you're just looking down on each other you're judging each other but nobody's saying you can't eat meat to be saved you've got to do the Sabbath to be saved He's had that argument early from about chapters 2 to chapter 6. He was pointing the fingers straight at the Jewish leaders, saying, you guys are enforcing the law. You're saying it's Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus food laws, Jesus plus the Sabbath. And there he does rip into him. He says, you guys don't even get the idea of grace, that Jesus died for all that and to give us new life. He fought about that earlier because they were saying it's salvation matters. What that's done is going... All the, the, the food laws and Sabbath laws should be in the open hand. As soon as you put them in the closed hand to say these are super important for you to be saved, that you can't do it. If you want to put that in, in the closed hand, yeah, let's fight about that because they're not salvation. You're making them into salvation matters and that's not right. So it does confuse things a little bit. Some matters are the same matters, but we're going to decide which hand are we going to put them in whether we're going to fight about them or not. Let me give you our four top things here at Southside because there's some things that we've had this discussion about over the years, several times, uh, when people raise it. Why don't we talk about this? Why aren't we hitting this? We should put all our energy into this particular area, this particular belief. I've just got the top four. Uh, I'll rattle them off quickly and then, then just pull them apart a little bit more. End times, speaking in tongues, Positions on baptism and literal six-day creation. And that's in that order, actually. Uh, They're the ones that are hot topics. Think of stirred-up hot topics. 
already. First one, just, just to rattle it off quickly, end times. Why is this such a big issue? Now, some people spend a lot of time thinking about this, some people don't. But there's all sorts of positions on how you think Jesus is going to return and how we're going to heaven. Pre-millennialism, amillennialism, post-millennialism. Oh, no idea, Jesus is just going to return. And that's kind of, that's okay, because that's what he says. You know, I'll come like a thief in the night. You're not, you're not, even, not even going to know when it's going to happen. That's okay. We're not going to fight about those things. That's in the open hand. Open hand for us. Because it's not a salvation matter. And people can look at Scripture and take a few verses here and there and come up with their own opinions. Not that you don't have an opinion, and not that it's not important. If you want to spend your time doing that, that's fine. We're not going to fight about it. The problem is when people get so obsessed about last day's stuff and so obsessed about prophecies, and we should be spending all our time preaching about interpreting prophecies, you're starting to put it in the closed hands, go, this is a salvation, this is important, unless you've got this. They actually spend more time arguing about prophecy stuff than they do arguing about Jesus. That's a problem, isn't it? We're not going to do that. We're not going to spend all our time arguing about different interpretations about end times. What about speaking in tongues? This keeps coming up every now and again randomly because some churches believe you've got to have Jesus to be saved and a sign to be saved is you've got to speak in tongues. So tongues, speaking in tongues is like, can be speaking another language or just speaking a language of angels, they call it, which is just noises. Uh, but they say it's spirit-driven. What's our position? Do we have a position on that? Yes. We believe God does equip the saints with gifts, even spiritual gifts, possibly even the gifts of tongues. We believe that if God wants it to happen, it can happen. But... We also believe it's, it's the least of all spiritual gifts because that's what Paul says as well. But as soon as you say this is speaking in tongues, it is God's able to do or not able to whatever. As soon as you say this is a, not an open hand issue anymore, you have to do this to be saved and put it in the closed hand, all of a sudden, you, again, you're saying Jesus plus this other thing. Oh, you can't speak in tongues? You're not a real Christian. Hang on. If you're going to put that in the closed hand, yes, we'll fight about that. That's not true. That's not scripture. But as a church, we're going to put it in the open hand. We're not going to fight about, make a big deal about that it is a salvation issue. It's not. That's why it's an open hand issue with the other spiritual gifts. That it's there. Uh, what about baptism? Baptising adults and children. Uh, in the Presbyterian Church, we do believe that baptising children is a biblical thing to do. It's consistent with all of Scripture. That's a belief we have. But actually, to be honest, you can read Scripture and not see that. Many people do. Many people go, actually, I want my kids to be baptised when they choose to believe and be baptised as an adult. Therefore, I'm not going to baptise them as a child. We actually go... We respect that. We want you to think about it. We want you to have an opinion. We don't want you to go ignorant. We believe it's good to be baptised our kids, but you can be a part of South. We're not going to kick you out. We're going to put that in the open hand. You can have different views on baptism and still be a part of South. So we're not going to let that cause division. It's not a salvation issue, and we're not going to let it divide us. We're also like the food laws. We're not going to look down on people who don't get their kids baptised. We're not going to let that cause us division. We will baptise our kids, we will celebrate that, but we're going to pray for all our kids. 
We will teach all our kids in kids' church. We will raise all our kids knowing Jesus through youth group. Baptism is a separate issue. We have views, have strong views and convictions, but we're not going to fight about it. We're not going to look down on anybody with different views. Uh, I say that because some people, every time I go to a, almost every time I go to a conference, I usually get a Baptist guy going, you baptise your kids, you don't believe in the Bible. It's like, no, get that out of the closed hands, open hand. I'm not going to fight about it. Happy to talk about it. Don't make it a salvation issue. Maybe that's my problem. Um, Six-day creation. Now, this needs a little bit more explanation because we want to ask the question, what is the first three chapters about of Genesis? Uh, What is it about? What's the lesson behind the opening chapters in Genesis? There's primary stuff that we need to acknowledge. In fact, we're going to put these things in the closed hand. There is a God. There is even identify as Father, Son and Spirit. We're happy to say the three, the three gods are there, the three, one God, the three persons are there. That there is a creator God and he made creation with a plan. He made a literal Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve literally sinned. Adam and Eve was literally kicked out of the gut. There was a break in that relationship. There's a real story about God knowing God, his intention for humanity, them rebelling, them getting kicked out, a break in relationship. We're going to hang on to those things. Sin is a real thing. Broken relationship with God is a real thing. The question is, was chapters 1 to 3 meant to be a textbook on how old the earth is? You can read some stuff into that. That's not the primary meaning. So we're going to say, Six literal six-day creation, how old is the earth? There's different views on that. You can read it differently. We have views, but we're not going to fight about that. We will fight about one God, creator of Adam and Eve, our God, our Father God, but our rebellion and broken relationship. We're not going to argue about how old the earth is in a literal six-day creation. Have views, but we're not going to fight about it. You need to be convinced, even, Paul says, in your own minds. But as soon as you want to put how old the earth is, or literal six-day creation, in the closed hand, that's a problem. Because all of a sudden you're saying, we want to spend our time on this, the six-day creation, not the God and the us-broken relationship and the sin. And people do that, in my experience. People get obsessed over fighting over why six-day creation is real. I'm comfortable with it being real, by the way. But when you spend time obsessing over why it's real and they don't even fight about the resurrected Jesus. Going, oh, you don't get creation right and you'll get everything else right. No, it's get Jesus right and everything else doesn't matter compared to getting Jesus right. Get Jesus right. That happens regularly. We're not going to fight. Happy to talk about it. In fact... It's pretty much the only time we've invited, it's not that we've got anything against our QTC college lecturers, just they're so busy, but one of the few times we've had somebody here, we've got the Old Testament lecturer, Doug Green, to do a seminar on it for us. Because we want people to form their own opinions. Not we don't care, we're just not going to fight about it. 
Don't let it become more important than the gospel. That, that's basically the trend with all these things. All these things are good to think about. All these things are good to have an opinion on. They're not gospel, so we're not going to fight about it. But if you want to fight about it, put over there. That's when it becomes an issue because we want to uh, fight for what's best and more important. That's the unity of the church and focus on Jesus. Now, why do we say this? Because I feel like I've probably stirred up a whole lot of things that I'm happy to talk about during the week and please contact me. As Paul says, don't do the quick, easy option and just shift churches. Let's have the conversations to, find, to dig a bit deeper and find out what we, what we believe and why. But the reason I think it's important for us to put it out there is we want to make the gospel, the message of Jesus, the only way to be saved, is of prime importance. We want to be speaking about that every Sunday, every time we meet, every time we get together in growth groups. Trusting in Jesus is the one that really matters. We don't want to be distracted fighting about other things, not just for division, but to pull us away from the message of the gospel. That's what's prime important. We want to be building each other up, and that means doing right is better than being right. I encourage you with that phrase this morning, that doing right, loving each other, building each other up, being indebted to each other in love, that's the most important. That's more important than being right on a lot of these open hand things. Let's encourage, because there's a lot of judgment and wisdom in all that stuff, let me encourage you to talk to me during the week uh, about that, if there's stuff that's been poked and prod. But I hope you can see, we value what we have here as a church. We value our brothers and sisters. And we want to build us all up together, being that kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we thank you for reaching out to us as individuals, as the first part of Romans says, that we're reconciled to you, we can come to you, be at one with you, to be legitimately called your children. But Lord, as we gather here together, with our differences, with our diversity. Lord, we confess that we sometimes don't hold the value of being reconciled to one another, that we belong to one another. Lord, help us see that this morning. Help us to determine what are the things that we really want to fight about and put in the closed hand, or what things are just secondary. Lord, help us to see the importance of not tearing down one another, but building up one another see more people come to faith whether it's our kids raising them as young disciples that anchored solidly in Jesus our youth that through youth group through here that they're anchored solidly in Jesus and for us too Lord and the brothers and sisters around us that were anchored solidly in Jesus build us build your church Lord we pray in Jesus name amen